You are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your host, Frank Welcome to and the episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and we're so excited you're joining the show today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other major podcast platforms. Byron, before we get into the show today, let the listeners know why they should be subscribed and listening to Politically Entertaining. Man, because we, you know, <laughs> so last time we talked, we were hoping to do a couple of more shows before the year ended, but we were not able to. So happy late year to everybody listening. But I mean, this new administration that we have, man, they Joe is off to a blazing start. It's only been a little over a week and he's <laughs> signing all type of executive orders and things. Uh, but so much has happened since we last recorded. So you need to be subscribed to us for the simple fact that it can be honestly hard to keep up. Like some of the stuff we're gonna get into, I think we're probably gonna be able to touch maybe a quarter of it. The Wall Street is like the wild west right now. Uh, we had racist white people storm the Capitol. We have a new administration as I imply, and as I mentioned rather, and we got an impeachment part two, first time ever and president has been impeached twice. So it is like crazy to even try to keep up with some of this stuff. And for two people that, you know, I'm not gonna say it's our job because we won't get paid for this, but you know, we do this podcast. So it's our duty at least to try to keep up with it. I don't know about you, Frank, but it's been hard for me to keep up. And as many of the listeners know, I actually work at the Capitol. So I haven't had a lot of free time to like really read up on a lot of stuff because we've been working like crazy since January 6th. So uh, we'll probably touch on that as well. And just a lot to get into. Do it a little different this week though, man. What do you want to get into first? Because we talked about a couple of things that we wanted to touch on the show. And I know you probably have questions for me on the whole capital thing. So let's just start off with what you want to touch on and then we can get into some of the other topics as well. Man, that's, that's tough. Um, I'm going to tease and let people listen to the show a little bit longer. Let's talk about Wall Street, right? Let's talk um, for those for those people listening. We're recording this um, on Thursday, uh, January 28th. So right now we're in the thick of what it looks like. You want to talk about an insurrection a few weeks ago, which we'll get into a little bit later with Byron. But an insurrection in, in really Wall Street, um, for those of you who don't know, um, you know, Byron and I often talk about investing in finance, and I know I know we both have portfolios. And one of the interesting things, you know, Byron, that I want to start off the conversation with is, you know, what you're seeing is, um, you know, do what I do what I say, not what I do, because in essence, for those who aren't caught up um, on everything, the, the the English, the short English version is there was some hedge funds. Hedge funds are a bunch of people, rich people, who put their money in stocks and in, in, together, you know, combined to make money by, you know, buying and selling stocks. And generally their combined wealth moves the market because they can generate such volume with their shares versus you might, you know, buy, you know, 10, 20 shares that doesn't really move the market price. But if somebody buys, you know, a hundred thousand shares or sells a hundred thousand shares that can shift price. So these hedge funds have that power. Well, in this case, there was a stock called GameStop. I'm sure you've heard of it, heard of the store at least. And GameStop, one of the one of the companies, and I can't think of the company's name because I'm not looking at the thing, but there was a hedge fund that was over leveraged in GameStop, which means that they were shorting it at such a level um, that they were gonna take a loss if the stock went up at all. Like they were basically just daring it to go up. And there was really no way to make that happen unless a significant volume swing went the other way to push it up. So this group, which is in Reddit called Wall Street Bets, about 10 years old, they all decided to combine, combine their powers together and started buying GameStop. And the price shot through the roof and it caused the hedge funds to lose billions. And when I, mean, when I say billions, I don't mean one billion, I mean like several billion, like tens of billions of dollars they were le leveraging because they were, you know, shorting a position as it was going up and, and then selling them would cause them to realize the loss, right? So the thing that's so crazy with all that was the 
the brokerage firms started halting activity with GameStop. There was another stock that was part of AMC, which is the movie theater, and then also um, BlackBerry. BlackBerry, yep. Yes, it was insane because this is, you want to talk about, and we'll get into this later, about, you know, should people's First Amendment silencing, I know there was, that's a big thing about, you know, what happened to the president and being the former president and things like that. But this was a different kind of science where it's like, hey, if you're, the little man starts making money and putting pressure on the big man, we will exert force and just lock them out. And that was really scary. And that kind of goes back into when I tell people, we just some podcasts ago, when we talked about, we had Sam Bogan on from Entertaining Money. He talked about the bail-in where if the bank needs to satisfy their debts in a short order, they will hold all money on deposit, including your money, and you can come in and get an IOU while they pay off their debts. You just saw some version of that today where basically the, the power brokers and the hedge funds exerted their power on these brokerage firms and said, you need to halt trading because we're, we're losing too much money. But when they do it the other way, it's just a bad day in the market. So one of the things that I learned from this is the market is definitely rigged and it's rigged against you. So it was just an eye-opening thing. And I just thought we should open here because so many of us are invested and we're in 401ks, we're in mutual funds, we have our retirement based in this and you see how volatile and how flimsy it can be. And so just to see these common people take their power back, it was it was kind of exciting, but, but I don't know how it's gonna end. It shot up at one point to over 14,000% in value. I'm talk- I, I may be off on the numbers a little bit, but I think at one point, GameStop went from being worth like $6 a share to nearly $500 a share from Monday to we, today is Thursday. So it's, it's, it's crazy. But my question is, it is a big story, but it seems to be mostly a big story within uh, Wall Street and financial markets besides, you know, social media making jokes about it. But it doesn't seem, it seems like the story should be even bigger. Like, am I wrong on that? Like what, what type of conversations have you had with people? Is it is it as huge a story as I as it should be, or not many people talking about it, like day to day people? I think it's such a big story that everybody's getting wind of it now. It depends on the type of work you do. Like, um, you know, you know, as as it is, I'm I'm a, you know a white collar worker. I work in software, so I work with guys who are geeks. You know, guys who are who who have portfolios, guys who have million dollar portfolios and brag about it, you know, at lunchtime. So there's many people who are in on this. There's a guy, you know, in my office who got in GameStop, you know, I guess he got wind of it before and got and was up 500%. So this is a big deal for those in the know, but what, you know, but, but as far as for people that you, like you said, are the common man, like it's something for a lot of people who don't trade stocks or don't understand it. They're just like, oh, but this is a big deal. This is a huge deal because it's not just what, the people on Wall Street bets are doing, but it's how the reaction came, the clapback to try to silence um, uh, the people doing that. And Robin, Robin, Hood. Robin Hood in particular was looks like the biggest. You know, Robin Hood is like the biggest shill. It would be the equivalent of Robin Hood working for you know what is it? Uh, what's the king? I can't think of the name. Whatever the in, in the book or you know story, whatever. The point is, Robin Hood doesn't work for the people. Robin Hood works for the man. And it was clearly on display. They have a cute marketing campaign about, you know, power to the people. I think that's, I think that's their campaign. But the point is the power was not to the people. The power was to those that, um, I guess, can leverage most uh, financial damage upon them. And so they, they basically halted trading. And that's really crazy because who is unilaterally making that decision? Because the SEC had not ruled. It wasn't as if the SEC halted trading. The SEC has not halted trading on any of these positions, any of these um, symbols. This was a decision that somehow came to through Fidelity, came through E-Trade, came through uh, TD Ameritrade. Uh, Robinhood had all in some form or fashion paused or halted uh, trades re- regarding uh, Game, GameStop, GME, um, uh, BlackBerry BB and uh, American movie theaters or you know AMC you know movie theaters. So that, is 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 a very crazy thing because then then you realize what we should be really fighting for right i know we have we're a political show but when you see the suppression you see they're focused on getting you to fight against yourself meanwhile they're taking all the money and then when you do that that you saw who they really were you saw what they really came and did so that's really the the, the enemy those 
and I don't want to say Illuminati, but there is an elite class, an elite group of people that don't want you where they are. And so they want to bend the rules the way they want to. And when you try to bend them, they're going to try to, you know, sanction you and tell you how lawless it is. But this is basically how it works. Like the markets are rigged to a certain degree and institutional movements, they, they use that term to dress it up. And I've used that term too, where you can say institutional movements make the market, but really it's just people that have a lot of money and have the ability to move the market. They are the ones who move it the way they want to. And then people make charts and stuff all about it, historical charts, and they'll talk about dips. And, and there are patterns in charts, and right? But a lot of it's based on how people in power want to move their money. And that they didn't really want that exposed. They wanted to turn to a technical thing where, oh, ride this wave, or there's a bear market. It's like, no, there's there, there, there are some forces at play that are dictating um, the these market prices, these market forces. And it got kind of exposed. And so hopefully this 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 will get more eyes and people will see um, you know, what they can do about it. Well, I want to see what the what the um retaliation is going to be on the other side because as of this recording tonight, uh users of Robinhood were partitioning uh, iOS and and possibly I think even um uh, what's the other uh, Android marketplace to take Robinhood out because they were like their app, you know, doesn't because of what they did halting trading. So it will be interesting to see how all this shakes out. Man, I got actually mistakenly caught up in that because I called myself. I was like, yo, you know, I have money that goes to Robinhood every two weeks. And so, you know, every once in a while, I started reading up on things like it's time to either buy more shares of a stock I already have or possibly buy some shares of a stock I don't have. So I was reading up and uh, there's a website called Motley Food that gives you like, you know, advice on what you should be looking at. And BlackBerry was one of them. So I, I read up on it and I was like, oh, that's cool. They're trying to uh, do some different things. And the, the shares were low. I think they were like maybe $12 a share at the time. So I called myself like, you know, I'm gonna buy, buy a few shares, you know, it's low. And I'm thinking I'm good to go. Cause the next, the, the next day, the pre-market value had already went up like double. It was like up to $24 a share. I was like, okay, I made a good bet. Robinhood, your order was canceled. And so it wasn't until later that day I found out that they were one of the companies that was caught up in it. So I was like an unsuspected uh, victim of all of this, man. So I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I'm missing out. But um, Class action lawsuit coming, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, because there's no reason they should have blocked your order but they, they they were acting unilaterally on some some decision that and that's all going to come out on somebody's going to take a fall for that so i promise we're going to get into uh politics y'all but i did want to um so i watched this documentary on hbo about tiger woods and i don't know if you saw it's like a two-part documentary and i just remember when that story first came out when it did about his infidelity and the many many women he wound up being with. I remember one of my coworkers just being so disappointed. Like he he really bought into the Tiger Woods image that Nike had created and Rolex and Buick and all these other companies he was endorsing. He was like legit upset. Like, and I was telling him like, you should not expect much from a superstar athlete. Like that's too much pressure on them to live up to the image that they portray in these commercials and stuff. My question for you is, it's, it's been a long debate ever since Charles Barkley made that commercial. Do you think pro superstar athletes are role models? Because some people say they don't have a choice because of the fame and what they do, they're automatic role models. And some people push back and say, no, you should, you should be your kid's role model. So we both have kids. Just wanted to get your thoughts real quick on that, and then we'll get into the politics and the bigger stories. But should athletes be role models? Should they? I mean, that's such a difficult question because they are role models. Whether or not they want to be is is, is two different things, right? Like. They're in, sometimes you can have people in leadership position, but they're not leaders just because of the spotlight, because of what's on them. I mean, people are going to look at these guys, like, for example, I think LeBron James is, is an excellent role model, um, you know, for what he's portrayed, you know, on and off the court. And 
he's and and, and he he deservedly so. But you know, even even with that being said, if he didn't want to be a role model just by being the best or one of the best players in his sport, you end up being some kind of a role model. Somebody's gonna buy your jersey and somebody's gonna look up at you and say, Man, this guy is, you know, it's like Ray Rice. Here's the thing, Ray Rice. Like people said that, oh, well, he wasn't a role model, but maybe he was or he wasn't. But when he punched his, his well, now wife, and I don't want to throw shade, but what I'm saying is that affected a whole, that affected some people in so many ways. It didn't matter if he was a role model or not. The, the spotlight these guys have, they are role models. And so whether or not they choose to be or not, people are, they, they get judged on that. Because if Ray Rice just worked at the shipyard and that happened, he'd be back at work the next week. I mean, let's keep it real. Because he was an NFL player, because of the magnitude and the and, and the spotlight he got, him doing that cost him his career, and it only happened because of the magnitude and responsibility that these guys have. And so, I think that you see that whether or not these guys want to be role models because of the position they're in, they have the responsibility of you know at least behaving in a way that keeps them away from you know bringing ill repute to the team and to into the league and things like that. So at a minimum, they have to keep their head above water. Um, now, whether or not they go out and do outreach and things like that, I mean, that's different. But I think that by default, because of the platform they have, they are going to be looked up to. And if you're looked up to, that makes you a role model, whether or not you want to be or not. Kid puts on your jersey and goes to the game and cheers for you, then that's just what it is. I mean, you can't make it in what it's not. And, and, and I get it. Parents are the first role models, and we get that. And I love my parents. I love my dad in particular. Um, you know, he's a great man. But it's just like when I grew up, I liked Michael Jordan. I wanted to be like Mike. I thought I saw him and that's 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 who I liked. And I didn't want him to be my dad, but I looked up to Michael Jordan, you know? And 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 that's something that these athletes have to be able to parse and deal with. That regardless of you can throw it off on the parents. And yes, the parents should not be letting the athlete raise the kid, which is totally two different things, right? Like you have your daughter and you, I know you make decisions and you look out for her, but there might be somebody who does something that you don't know how to do and she looks up to them. And that could be a role model for her. But that's not taken away from what you are. I think kids, kids need to have more than one role model anyway. So um, I hope that answers the question. Hope I didn't filibuster that too long. I know we got to get into the show, but that's what nah, I think. Man, I, um, I, I actually agree, especially towards the end when you was like, there's a difference. Like, yeah, I look into the athlete to raise your kid, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, and not just kids, man. There are some adults that can find inspiration in what a lot of these athletes do. Like, it's easy to respect the uh, the dedication, the discipline, and the training that goes into perfecting whatever uh, craft and whatever sport that they perform in. Um, I just kind of push back a little on expecting them to be perfect. And so when they do mess up, when they do fall short, you know, I, it's easy to jump on them and 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 say how could you do this when you got kids watching you like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. My kids watch me and I still, I mess up too. Uh, so we can't, I don't, I don't think it's fair for people to say they're not allowed to mess up because they are role models. Because if we're going to force the role model title on them, we also have to accept that they are still human at the end of the day. And they deal with, way more temptation and access to temptation than the everyday average person goes so uh goes through so i don't think i don't think it's even fair to compare well i didn't do that i haven't done that yeah you also can go check into a hotel room and they're on 10 hundred uh different people trying to get in there you know what i mean so uh I, but i love your answer you you pretty much answered it all so i don't need to speak too much on it, man. Um, we got an impeachment trial coming up, man. Again, like this time last year, we were dealing with an impeachment. And once again, we got another one of the same, well now ex-president. But Jul January 6th, um, people stormed the building, as I mentioned. And they are, the, the House of Representatives are holding him accountable. All the Democrats and 10 Republicans voted to impeach the former president of the United States for inciting a riot and sending a mob to the US Capitol building where they stormed the building 
And this is where the story starts separating, splicing and dicing because there were some people that was just like, hey, this is pretty cool. Some people then broke into the building and I'm just gonna walk in here, walk around, whatever. There are also some people that is nothing short of coordinated attack. When you think about the two pipe bombs that were placed at both parties' headquarters, when you think about how some had two-way radios that they were talking on, you think about some had zip ties, one even had a, a firearm, and the plan was to kidnap the vice president, ex-vice president of the United States, and the then vice president-elect. We're getting stories now that some wanted to assassinate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, better known as AOC. So it was nothing short of a coup. Their plan for a lot of them was to stop the electoral process that officially nominated Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. I don't know, I don't wanna like be over dramatic and please correct me if I'm wrong. That's nothing short of treason to me. I mean, you had one woman that stole Pelosi's laptop and was trying to sell it to the Russians. If it's not treason, what else are we talking about here? Well, sedition for one, right? Um, if you want to get real technical, what they did certainly is treason. I think sometimes regard is regarding another country. Sedition is within, like an insurrection type thing. So, using the technical terms, but I mean, let's let's keep it real. Before I get into anything about what I think, I just want to know. Obviously, we know. Um, you know, you you don't you didn't live stream what happened, but just you know, give us a feel for what was that day like on the ground. Um, you know, whatever you can, and you know the concerns you may have had, and the, you know the, the the general tenor of that environment. Because obviously, we're watching on TV, thinking one thing, but you know, inside, it's it's it, 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 we can't tell everything that's going on. We see they breached the building, and then from there, it was like, oh my god, you know. So just maybe share so a little I, bit of that. So obviously, I, I I pretty much can only say what's like public knowledge that's been reported in the media. But I'll just start the night before. And even before the night before, I was just start like maybe a week and a half before where we just got the message that, hey, you know, because of COVID, we have been doing where we would have, we have, we've been split into three groups uh, and the department was trying to keep it to where not everyone was there at once, you know, to try to cut down on the, the, uh, the COVID uh, contacting and tracing and things like that. And since the building is closed, you don't need as many people there. But on this particular week, you know, we were told, hey, we have a, uh, another demonstration. Mind you, he had just had one, uh, I think, around the day that the, date, the, the different states were supposed to certify their election results. It was like in late December, there was a Trump protest marching rally that went on. So when we got the word that another one was coming, it was like, oh, man, again, another one. So we had gotten word that there was going to be another demonstration, Trump supporters. Uh, and mind you, at the Capitol, we get demonstrations all the time from uh, abortion rights to, uh, I, I don't even want to name all of them. We always have de demonstrations around the Capitol or a block away or at the Capitol. So the night before, when I was leaving work, I saw a lot of the Trump supporters already there. You see the trucks with the big Trump flags. You see people walking around with the MAGA hats and things like that. And I remember uh, texting some friends in a group chat. I said, hey, these people are here already. I said, you know what? I think I'm probably not gonna park in my normal spot because the normal parking lot we park is like, it's like wide open. It's like, it's almost like, it's pretty much the street that's a parking lot. I said, I think I'm gonna, park a little further away from the Capitol because I don't know, man, I just like, I mentioned how we always have demonstrations, but they're rarely there the night before, just out walking around. Like that's, that's, that's not seen before. Like we even had Black Lives Matter come up there. They're not up there the night before. So when I saw that, I, I already knew. So when I came into work the next day, I parked in a, a further away 
place from the building, but still not thinking that it was going to be that bad. And as the day progressed, you monitoring the radio. I work inside, monitoring the radio, listening to what was going on. And you could hear it escalating and getting bad. But um, I don't want to take up too much time. I'll just say it went from bad to me responding upstairs sooner than I was supposed to because I'm like, yo, it sounds so bad. It sounds like I'm going to need to be up there. And, you know, we we went into our procedure to protect the senators. Uh, that's about as vague. That's about it. I'll, I'll stay vague on that part, but we went in our procedure to protect them. Uh, they were actually in the middle middle of debating the electoral process. And, um, you know, we finally got them to our safe room. And I, I say all that to say this, you know, when it really started breaking bad, I had not been around a TV uh, for about a good two and a half, three hours. It wasn't until we were in our safe room for about 30 minutes or more, they brought the TVs in there and the images is like, whoa. Like, I don't think any of us knew it was that bad. Like even before we left to go to the safe room, we heard people were in the building. I don't know, I can't speak for everybody else. I was assuming, okay, at most a good 10 people then slipped through the line and I don't know, some kind of way forced themselves in the building no big deal. But seeing those images, man, it, it was not to exaggerate, it probably was an audible gasp in the room. But um, it was it was a crazy day. Um, it's one of those days that you're going to always remember, like seven or eight years from now, when we're talking to new people in the department, that day is going to come up. But crazy day, man. I, I'm sorry to be so vague. But um, I definitely was angry. I was pissed at what was what I was seeing. And, you know, I'll just say this, because obviously I can't name the people that I want to blame, but you and I have been doing this show. I would say, because we, we started the show at the end of Obama's president, presidency. So we the majority of our show has been during the Trump presidency. And I remember I did a rant on Trump you and I have routinely said how dangerous, I've gone as far as to call him racist. You stopped short of that, but um, you still, it's not like you had kind words for him either. But we have watched this man and his behavior get normalized time and time again by so-called responsible officials in our government. Time and time again, they normalized it. They normalized it. They excused it. And like the controversial quote that Reverend Wright said, chickens came home to roost, man. You can't keep feeding people the stuff that they were fed and not think. I know everybody's responsible for their own actions, but they call it a mob mentality for a reason. And you can't keep let's call it what it is. You can't keep lying to the people and telling them that an election was stolen and that this was stolen and, and you've been done wrong by this and that. You can't do it and not expect consequences. And that's exactly what happened on January 6th. And thank you so much for that. Uh, glory to God for you being safe. Um, you know, cause that's the main thing, you know, when I heard about it, you know, I, I straight up said this, I was like, you know, Told my family, I was like, hey, you need to pray for Byron because he's in the Capitol. And so it's it's good to know that obviously you came out of that. One, one thing I will say is, um, you know, obviously I wasn't inside. So anything I say is not, you know, going to be taken because I wasn't there. But I will just say that I'm, I was very disappointed with um, the, the majority of Republican Congress who throughout the process continued to feed into, not, not on the 6th, but before the 6th, fed into the whole you know, the election was stolen lie. Um, that was very, that, that wasn't good. Like at no point was it ever cut off. And I think that one of the biggest things that I see as a problem, even in, I know which I'm jumping a little bit ahead to the impeachment is that people are trying to now isolate what Trump did into the speech before the, the, the kind of insurrection happened, which 
which to me is just so disingenuous when, you know, this guy for years has been building up one, a hatred, right? And the reason why, you know, you, some people might say, what, I don't think Trump's a racist. I, I just think he's worse than a racist. I think he traffics in race baiting and and he's, he's, he's a narcissist, misogynist. So he doesn't really, he doesn't, he's not a racist because he doesn't really hate anything. He loves himself more than he hates anything else. So he's willing to like, you know, use whatever. That's why he's looking for endorsement from Lil Wayne and the Proud Boys and other black people at the same time, right? Like he, cause, cause he just, just tries to get it wherever he can. It doesn't have, doesn't have to make sense. He's a narcissist. He's a fascist. Um, and I think those are the things that you started seeing in these people. These people are willing to die um, for, for this man. Like, and here's the funny thing I'll say. I know there's some people that, I mean, I don't know, our audience probably doesn't have a ton of people like this, but I know people have talked about, you know, religious, religious right, religious freedom and things like that. And and, and Trump was was part of it, is supporting that. And and Biden, you know, is, is going to do all this and that. But I will say this. Um, when Jesus died on Easter, when he went to die before, the, before Palm Sunday, he rides on the cold. He comes in, everybody dropping palms by him. They're saying, Hosanna. They're actually expecting at that moment, they're hoping that Jesus is going to come and help them overthrow the Roman Empire. Of course, we know that Jesus did not do that. He went to the cross and, and died. Now, one thing, I, one reason why I'm bringing that up is because at no point did Jesus, and, and this, and, 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 the, and Jesus, Jesus, and the reason why I say this is because Jesus is the precedent of how we're supposed to act. Doesn't matter what happened before Jesus, Jesus is the new standard, new covenant. So he said to love your enemies right? He says to turn the other cheek. He says all these things. So at worst, even if you are upset with the election, you think it was stolen, the last thing you would do is to do something illegal and put other people at risk to try to get a man in and keep him in office who doesn't even really have any characteristics of, you know, what you would say you you represent as far as God. Because I know a lot of people were there with Jesus saved signs and stuff. Some people try to say, oh, well, there was there was a Christ presence. There was never, there was no Christ presence there. I mean, you just because you had the sign doesn't mean his presence was there. And, and that makes me sick, that misrepresentation. The enemy is destroying uh, many witnesses of people that said they're in Christ. People are like, well, I don't want to believe in God if that's who's waving the flag. And so you've seen a complete devolvement in, in our politics to where the Republican Party has been swallowed up into fascism autocracy, authoritarianism. Now, whether or not that's that's too hard to say, just keep watching, wait for it. You know, wait for the day when somebody better and smarter comes in and you're like, man, we don't have elections anymore. You know, cause that's how Putin did it. You know, go back and look at his history. He came in, the only difference between Trump and Putin is Putin had a much higher approval rating and people liked him. So when people like somebody who's a fascist they can pull stuff off and you know, the difference was Trump was not well liked. Trump's approval rating was always lower and he had his loyal supporters, but he also had a lot of opposition. He just, this this whole thing just set the groundwork for somebody who's more popular yet more sinister to come in and dupe everyone. And I think that's the real danger is that if these people who committed these seditious acts coming into the Capitol, if the president isn't convicted in an impeachment trial, then you're sitting and saying, well, you know, it wasn't that bad you know, or, you know, no, you know, it's, it's, it's over. We're moving on. We need to heal. You can't heal without justice. There's no, perfect love doesn't, has justice as part of it. There's mercy in love, but there's also justice. Without, 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 without justice, you have a perverted, you know, cheapened forgiveness without, and without love, you have, you know, um, obviously without, you know, mercy and love, then you don't have, you know, you just have, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, there's got to be a balance. And right now, the balance should, is, it should be towards justice at this point, because what has been done had put the whole world at risk. And when I say that, I don't mean that lightly. I mean that if you read articles and go back and read that, there was, there was like talk of how the world would deal with the, the United States as being run un, 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 under basically a um, puppet government or, you know, a hostile takeover government. How would that hand, how would that change the financial dealings of, of, of the United States with the world. And you've already seen now a country like China potentially stepping into that void with not, not because they're necessarily have great leadership, but because they have stability. That we, we have a very unstable government right now. And people don't want to deal with the real problems. And as long as people continue to bend over backwards and keep Trump around, we're just heading for a fall. It may not be in 2024, may not be in 2028, but it's coming. 
And it's going to be a big one when it happens. So we talked about the what and why, well, I guess you could say the why on why he's been impeached again. And so now um, it's, it's at the Senate and they had a vote on whether or not it was even within their constitutional right to even hold this trial since he's out of office. He's now a so-called private citizen. And it came back 55, 45. Only five of the 50 Republicans voted that it was constitutional to hold a trial. So that lets you know, at most, only five are gonna vote to convict him. And so now it's gone from, because when McConnell, when former Majority Leader McConnell gave his remarks after the uh, insurrection, riot, storming of the building. He was fired up. And it, at the time, it sounded like he would be one of those votes to convict uh, Trump. But um, a lot has changed. And like with anything, as time moves on, you know, people get less emotional about it. And doesn't look like it doesn't look like they're gonna have any any more than the five Republicans that voted that way. So I just want to get your opinion on what you think is gonna happen because I believe they only need I think they only need 51 to uh convict him of some things, but they need more to like prevent him from I think ever running again or something like that. And because this is never done it's definitely open to a lot of challenges, no matter what they decide, but it's gone from being anxious to hold this trial to you got even some Democrats now saying, look, let's just get it over with. We know we're not gonna have Republican support. And they are so close to losing this majority because they really only have the majority because of Kamala Harris. When Leahy got sick the other day, Vermont has a Republican governor. So if something happens to one of these Democratic senators, depending on what state they're from, if they have a Republican governor, that's how soon the Republicans can get the majority back. So a lot of Democratic senators are anxious to get on with Joe Biden's, uh, I guess I should say President Biden's, that's more, more respectful, get on with President Biden's agenda, confirm more of his cabinet picks. By the way, we mentioned Lloyd Austin as a uh, Secretary of Defense. He got that. By the way, Mobile, Alabama. But um, they want to get on to that because they know where the Republicans stand. They know nothing much is going to come of this. So just want to get your thoughts on all of that. Where the Republicans stand with this trial and just what do you see happening with everything? I think it's crazy that just one month later, because it's the trial I think was set to start like the February 8th or 9th or something like that. So it's not like it was a year later. It's like literally a month after the the Confederate the Confederate flag had never breached the halls of the Capitol, and so that's a significant thing too. And then the anti-Semitic stuff um, was just crazy. So I just think the idea that it could be forgotten in 30 days just shows how disingenuous the Republican Republicans in Congress are right now. They just they're just focused on base keeping their base and keeping themselves reelectable. And I think that's really a bad idea because what's going to happen is you're going to have more people like, you know, I know we talked about, you know, season later show people like Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, people who are really insurgents in as elected officials. It's one thing to have, you know, um, Alex Jones and, you know, different people who are, you know, super right wing or, you know, Steve Bannon, you know, with their, you know, their propaganda is another thing to have them as elected officials. And I think that, you know, the trial is going to go how it looks like it's going to go. Maybe you'll get a couple more, but to get 12 more, that's the thing they need 67, I think, to convict. And I then, and, and just, it's just like, I don't know what they're going to get, what they're going to be able to present to do it because they're, they're pretty much locked in to, 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 they can interpret the evidence how they want to. And, and so I kind of think that that's really unfortunate that they're turning a blind eye to what really, if, I mean, Let's let's keep it real. Like one of the thing, one of the biggest problems with this is, what if the what if what if the Republicans had controlled the House? What would have? What, how would all this have been different? Would Biden have even been able to be sworn in? Like would that have even happened? Like, what would have really happened? Would would McConnell press his edge in the Senate 
and try to, you know, I mean, what would have happened? It's just, I mean, like, I think that we're going down such a dangerous road. People, people are just forgetting things, but it's like we were a 2018 midterm election away from having Trump again anyway. And we could be a midterm election again from facing a difficult prospects again, um, you know, for, for, for these kind of situations. So I just think that there is right now we've introduced so much rogue, rogue agents, so many rogue elements into our democracy. We don't have a democracy anymore. We have, we simply have, um, one one party that is is not down with authoritarianism that's fighting back the other one that, that wants it and so you really don't have democracy when you have that so you know to me it's the equivalent of i told this to my sister the equivalent of do you have do you have faithful marriage um if you're if your spouse is cheating on you and is is, is it only unfaithful when you find out or is it unfaithful when they start doing it so i think that that whole process of what we're seeing is just is just the really disintegration and uh, eventually it's gonna get worse if, if it ever could even get better, but we haven't even hit rock bottom. I guess you thought rock bottom would have been everybody in, in you know, being in lockdown, you know, while the, the building is ransacked. And these people, by the way, didn't say this, but it's just like they were defecating and, and, and going and just, just sick, sick, sickness. Like this wasn't even, Animal. This wasn't, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was just something that, it still is. It just can't. I just can't believe that that even happened. They behave and like animals. The, and, and so to think that this man should ever be anywhere near being able to run for an office, regardless whether or not he will be elected, think that he could even try to campaign again after what he did, and think that you know to try to you know Rand Paul is 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 you know so disingenuous with his you know anybody says a speech about fighting and how many people's like you 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 try to boil it down into one thing. I'll tell you one thing Republicans have done really good good with is boiling down a narrative into something that is a bite-sized thing that tries to encapsulate something that it really doesn't. So basically they're trying, like I said before, this this speech before the insurrection is is all that you know he's being charged on. But I'm like, man, how about the whole process? How about what about Lindsey Graham calling the Secretary of State of Georgia like there was so much crazy. What about him flying the lawmakers from Pennsylvania and Michigan or, try, or trying to get the ones from Pennsylvania and flying the ones from Michigan to the White House? What about meeting with the Proud Boys leader? You know, I mean, like what, 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 what? It's just, it's just, it just shows you that there's just a different reality where the, 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 the levers that pull and control America, the elected officials are in some ways I guess because of money and financial things, just as just as puppeted as um, as as the people, it's it's really scary. It's really frightening. But I don't think he's going to get convicted. And sadly, it leaves the door open for him to try to run again. Although I don't think he will. But still, we have to deal with the fact that he could. And to me, that's just unsettling in itself. That 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 we 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 can't even agree that this man is is. <laughs> He's he's he bankrupts everything and 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 anyway I don't I could go on all night but it's it's really disheartening it's really unfortunate so uh, you know I don't see any traction happening the Democrats to me and the one thing I'll say about them and I and I said this before um, you asked me this is something you asked me on a podcast Friday before the election you said well do Democrats win the presidency in the House and the Senate and they did but they still feel like they lost because they're such punks it's like they don't know how to like they don't know how to like they keep trying to play footsies with, with the terrorists that are on the other side, and like they don't know how to, they they don't, they really just don't know how to get things done, and they're gonna be out on their ass in two years or four years or whenever, and it's gonna be like it doesn't make sense to me that people they campaign on being the soul of America. Well, if you say that, then start governing like it. I'm not saying Joe's not coming out fired up, but Chuck Schumer needs to get get on his horse and get going like. Um, and, and, and Pelosi and things like that, you know, I felt like they needed an injection of new blood, in my opinion, in both houses. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, they're, they're going to play this game and talk about, you know, things that are unimportant and, and the Republicans don't care about. And it's just a miracle of God that more damage didn't happen that the president did with a Republican House uh, Congress and Senate when he first got elected. So, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but it's just it's just more of a frustration of what I'm seeing. And I see, you know, that that I've said this before, they're not trusting democracy. 
you better find out who God is because this ain't going to last. It's only a matter of time before this happens. And I'm not speaking in prophecy and I'm not trying to prophesy anything. I'm saying, I'm looking at what I'm seeing and I just believe that we're not long for being the country of freedom that we say we are, if we even are that right now. He, um, he's the worst president in the history of the United States. I want to get that out the way and be on the record. Um, but not only did he win in 2016, but 74 million people voted for him again after experiencing four years of him being president. 74 million people in this country thought that he was worthy of a second term. And so no matter how bad I say he is or was, I have to step back and question where the hell are we as a country? You mentioned how the Democrats are weak. I will say this, they're not the Democratic Party, but they're definitely like a, a liberal, I guess, uh, group. But the people who run the Lincoln Project, I like the way they fight. I don't know if you've seen some of their ads, but I like the way they fight and how they come out swinging. And I will say this, this, this could be me be, this could be me being naive. But I think, or at least I hope, I think they're going to be tough. Like I was looking at uh, Schumer's interview with Rachel Maddow, and you know they they're going to do some of the same things Republicans did. They're going to push judges through. They're they have uh, they're going to push the COVID bill through. They want to get all of his cabinet securing and stuff like that. They realize that they are essentially on borrowed time. They need to win more seats in 2022 in order to have a legitimate, because this is barely a majority. It's really not a majority. It's a 50-50 tie with Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris as the tiebreaker. But um, they're on borrowed time, so they can't really BS around with, like you say, a bunch of bills that nobody cares about. Come out swinging, and if they don't, it's going to be on them, because we know, I mean, say what you want about McConnell. That dude knows how to run his caucus and get things done. So hopefully they learn from him because he is one of the best politicians that I've ever seen in my life. Um, during your, I don't even want to call it a rant, but during what you were talking about, you mentioned Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she is the freshman Congresswoman from Georgia. She, uh, is known to pretty much subscribe to a lot of that QAnon stuff, conspiracy theories. But she also, we found out, had some past posts talking about killing members of Congress, uh, assassinating Speaker Pelosi, um, saying that she was guilty of treason and needed to be put to death or at least uh, in prison. And I, maybe I should have tried to get like an FBI agent on, the, on this show, but I, I thought federal elected politicians had some type of federal background check on them. And I would think those type of statements would have at least drawn some type of scrutiny. Maybe it did and they just deemed it as uh, a private citizen popping off at the mouth. But those are some dangerous things for not just a congressperson, but for anybody to say. Like, if a, for, I mean, if a private citizen said some of the stuff she said, I'm sure they would at least get a knock on the door. I, I know you can't answer this, but I am out loud thinking and wondering, how does she get past, how does she even get this far without more public scrutiny that she's gotten up until this point? Um, I think there's a hole in the system and, and that's all I, I can, well, I can say, I can say a little bit more. What I'll say is this, these there there is a machine at work obviously and for her to even have gotten in with her some of the things she's posted and said and her thought pattern is his own problem in itself but certainly um she is someone who being a white woman and you know there, there's 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 a certain tenor in which we look at white people in this country versus black people i think this is something we didn't have to really touch on, but we all know how it would have been down if the rioters would have been a different color coming into the Capitol. Been a lot more bodies on the ground and they would have shown them too, right? They'd been like, look what happens, right? To you guys. 
when you come in the capital. Mm. But we didn't see that um, because it, that wasn't those people. And so to me, Marjorie Taylor Greene is like the 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 bad seed, the demon spawn of white privilege and misinformation, right? She thinks she can go in and say whatever she wants about anybody and say she was just kidding or she didn't mean it. And she's just using her free speech and they're trying to silence her. And it's so funny to me. Um, and I'm not, I don't think someone to be right or left because I know some people will, will listen to this show and be like, well, you guys are definitely left wing, man. Well, let me just tell you something. You don't really know anything because if you think cancel culture is a left thing, like the, the cancel culture was, is, is called when you lynch somebody, when you blow up a whole town, a city, when you, when you erase a whole entire history of a person, that's can cancel culture right now. It's so funny that just when, you know, the minority pe population gets a little bit of airspace and can say some things and say they don't want to talk to people the majority culture says oh they're trying to silence us they're trying to silence me oh like you try to silence you know my whole line my whole generation like where you try to silence us you know it's just like what what are we doing here what are we saying here and i think that's just like there there has to be a moment where and and, and this is not a knock because there are a lot of you know white people who are getting behind understanding this, but there's a large majority of, of white America that would listen to this and say, this is completely insane what this guy is saying. He's one of those, you know, Chinese bought communists, you know, liberals who thinks that, you know, Biden won the election fairly. And the thing is, we have gotten past the point of where this can be reconciled. Uh, and, and that's the biggest thing people don't want to admit is that. How are you going to reconcile this? How are you going to tell people, okay, hey, here's what's the truth is. We, we, we have allowed people to diverge and traffic and misinformation and hate so long. That's how, that's the only reason, that's the only way they can exist. Their people's world will be broken. There's QAnon forms still saying that Trump is going to be the president on March 4th. They can't let the lie go. There, there, there's a clip going around about with a, with a white woman who is like crying uncontrollably hysterically when the day Biden got inaugurated. It's like, what? What? And so, you know, to, to answer question Marjorie Taylor, like, she's just somebody who, like I said, the embodiment of white privilege and misinformation, and nobody's going to check her because, you know, that's what that's what sells right now. That's that's what's hot in the street, certainly on for the Republican Party. You know, she's a new wave. Her and Boebert and all these other, you know, Cawthorn. Um, these, these new age, you know, 20 some, 30 some people who think that they figured out the world is, is now square instead of round and they're going to let you know all about it. It's just, it's nuts. And, and I don't see an end in sight to it. I think that, um, you know, we're heading for, like I said before, I don't, I'm not, again, I want to be like doomsday, but it's just like people better, people better enjoy this season of prosperity that we're in, that I believe we're going to be in. Because the next time this hits, this was just a dry run. COVID and everything that happened, this could hit much worse. This could hit much, much worse. And so if you think it was bad in 2020, you'll be wishing for 2020 in a decade. Just wait for it. I, I remember the Sean Hannity's of being like genuinely hurt, upset, and angry when like then uh, Majority Leader Harry Reid called President Bush a liar. Like, like the right was so upset about this, right? And we don't hear a word from them when it comes to the, the things that said. And I'm sorry, man, when you talk about murdering someone, killing someone, like forget the whole, like the whole QAnon stuff and the conspiracy theories that she, that's dangerous too, don't get me wrong. I don't want to downplay that. But when you directly start talking about killing people when you're harassing uh, one of the students from the, uh, the shooting down there in Florida. Um, when you say that Sandy Hooks was a hoax, like that's the kind of stuff that, that should not be slipping any type of scrutiny whatsoever. It's just amazing to me, you know, the double standard that I see sometimes. And I know they, they claim, you know, liberals get away with just as much, but I can't think of an elected a responsible elected Democratic official that has said some of the things that she said and, and has gotten away with it. You know, like keep in mind, Al Franken had to leave his seat 
And I, you listen, I don't disagree. I know we got the Me, the Me Too movement going on and, and women need to be respected. But a, 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 I, don't, I don't think a Republican senator that did the exact same thing Al Franken did resigns. I don't think so. So it's just, it's just kind of funny to look at, man. Uh, we talked about quite a bit. You mentioned 2020 in your last answer and how 10 years from now, we'll probably be wishing it was 2020 because of the trajectory on how things are going and how bad things are looking. Um, this is our first show of 2021. We didn't get a chance to do like a real year review. And that's not what I'm going to ask you to do now. What I want to ask you is, because pretty much universally, everyone says that 2020 was a bad year. Like 2020, people have said it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a curse, it's a curse word now, the word 2020. So I just want to know for you personally, when you look at 2020 and the year that it was, and I bring this up because we just got through with the, you know, the one year anniversary in the, in the death of Kobe and his daughter and other people that were on that helicopter. We just got past that. And to me, that began the whole downhill of bad news for 2020 was his death. When you look back on last year, what stands out the most for you? What, how can I put this? How do you define 2020 personally for yourself? Because some people actually did have a good 2020, but it's been overshadowed by how bad it was. But I just want to know when Frank looks back on it, what does he think? Um, I think it was a year of discovery uh, for me, you know, among many things. But, you know, I look at it as, you know, if everybody knows the show or at least been listening to it, you know, I know it's an all-time role. And, and so just from a, a standpoint of building my faith, I would say that, you know, God showed me a lot of things about myself last year, you know, my inadequacies as a husband, as a father. Uh, that I needed to improve on uh, because of the close proximity which my family was in, right? You can, you can paper over your problems when you only, you know, you're kind of both working, you kind of come in and, and then you kind of, you know, put your kid in the, sleep, the bed and, you know, maybe you have a date night every, you know, other week and you're kind of thinking you're okay. Then all of a sudden it's like, wait, see each other every day, you know, oh, you're working from home. Okay. You're off this week, you're off again. Okay. Kid can't go to school. And it's just like, the balance and everything is off and the energy is just off. And you start realizing, man, I've got to improve my behavior. I had to improve. I mean, for me, I had, I had to learn, I discovered how to improve my mindset, my attitude, because at the, you know, a lot of marriages and relationships failed because people discovered who they were, but they weren't willing to confront it and change it. And so I just say that it was a very powerful year, an important year, an impactful year, because you have to know who you are at the worst moment to really get anything out of yourself. Everybody, when you know, it's like when everything is going good, right? When your wife's wearing lingerie and you're drinking wine and everybody's happy you going on vacation, man, everybody's everybody's got a good marriage then. But when you can't go anywhere and you know you're you're you know nobody's motivated to cook because you know you can't go out to eat, so you're cooking the same stuff. It's like how are you going to cope with that? Your kids won't. Didn't I just play with you for an hour? Can I can I take 10 minutes and just you know go to the bathroom? Like where where how do you, you're not prepared for that? And so what it showed me was when a crisis comes, it's not time to get ready to deal with it. You have to be preparing in the years um before that, in the time of heart uh, time of time of plenty, so that when you can when you can harvest and have some in reserve. And so to me emotionally, financially, spiritually, just understanding that I need to be in better shape and, 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 and get and storing up those areas always, knowing that the next time something like this hits, it could hit worse, could be longer. And I don't want to be strained to the breaking point when that happens. So I think for myself, it was just that a year of discovery. And um, it wasn't, you know, the best year, right? Because, but it, but it was a good year. It was a necessary year. And I think long-term, it'll be a year that, that it really shaped a lot of, of what I end up doing in the future. Uh, for me, man, when I look back on it, it's, um, it's probably five, I guess you can call them 
they're not necessarily emotions, but it's five things that I definitely take away from it. First off, um, being responsible. Like it, you have to be very responsible in, in 2020. Um, and what I mean by that is you had to be careful with um, where you went, um, how you went about uh, cleaning certain things, just keeping yourself safe. Uh, you had to, you really had to be a responsible person. I had to learn how to deal with fear. Like we literally were learning about this virus. Uh, it seemed like something new was coming out about it every month. It went from it's not airborne to it is airborne. I remember at one point they said regular masks are no good. If it's not N95, then it's no good. Then all of a sudden, hey, wear a mask. It helps minimize the spread of it. Um, certain soaps, certain uh, certain sprays can kill it. Others can't. Um, discipline, just remembering to to wear your mask everywhere. And I mean, I don't know if everybody's like me, but sometimes it gets a little annoying once you wear it for a certain amount of time. But you got to maintain that discipline of wearing it. Maintain the discipline. I don't know if you guys go this far, but anything that comes in this house whether it's a package from UPS or we bring in groceries from the store, we wipe it down with bleached wipes. We're, we're constantly cleaning things, just doing whatever we can to keep ourselves safe. Grief, you know, uh, one of my good friends on the other podcast I do lost his wife unexpectedly. 30-year-old healthy woman, gone out of, out of nowhere. Two months later, my mom. Two months after that, my other friend that I do the same podcast with lost his stepfather. So on top of that, we had the celebrity deaths that hit us, you know, pretty hard. Like I mentioned, Kobe, we lost our Black Panther. Um, so just dealing with grief, man, and, and last but not least, love. I cannot imagine someone who doesn't have many, if any, loved ones, people that are checking up on them people that genuinely care about their well-being. I can't imagine being in this world like that in 2020 because that had to be one of the most depressing and, and just overall bad feelings to have because it was tough being isolated from everyone, not being able to you know, go out like you're used to and socialize and things like that. Um, so. I understand and I definitely empathize with that. So those are the things that I take away from that year. But in the end, I think if you're alive, you're breathing and everything, you learn that you can deal with some tough times. And that's that's what's most important. Before I let you uh, close out, I want to give a huge, and I do mean huge shout out to my father-in-law, Michael Mitchell. Last month, he, uh, out the blue, man, I'm, First off, real quick, Frank, he's he's a quiet person. Like Tabitha's quiet. She gets her personality from him. Those of you that listen to Three Brothers No Sense, you've already pretty much heard this story. But, you know, he and I have never really had like a really, really long one-on-one -on -one conversation. But he called her phone and she was like, my dad want to talk to you. I'm like, what is this about? He gets on the phone and he's like, man, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. And it's about this podcast. I don't know how he came about it. Like, I, I hadn't told him about it. I don't know how he came across it. But um, he was citing some of the things we talked about. And he was like, to be honest, I don't even really need to watch CNN after listening to you guys. And he just was bringing up things that he didn't know. We had talked about the upcoming Georgia Senate race at the time. And just a whole bunch of stuff, man, that he cited, man. And it meant a lot. You know how sometimes you have people that compliment you on something and you kind of expect them to. Like if Tabitha tells me, great show, that's that's still good, don't get me wrong, but I kind of expect it, that's my spouse, you know, things like that. But for somebody that you least expect to do that, man, it, it, it hits different, man, and it meant a lot. So if you're listening, sir, I appreciate you. I want you to know that call meant a lot to me and I hope you enjoyed this episode like you did the last one. Man, thank yeah, thank you, Mr. Mitchell. That was I'm I'm impressed, man. Thank you. 
Um, and that just that's just a, a credit to, to Byron for putting together this show um, years ago and just bringing it up and saying, hey, and you know what's funny? And I'll say this, our picture, if you guys notice, we're in front of the Capitol building. So I just wanna say that. <laughs> yeah. um, but just thank you, man. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for you know keeping the show going. Um, you know, I just, the person who just talks a lot, you are the engine with a lot of the, you know, organizers. I just, I'm grateful, man, for, for just being on this platform. Um, so it's, it's great that other people are listening to it. And I'm, and that just makes me happy that we're still doing this, you know, five years later. Uh, so again, want to thank everybody for listening, check us out, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all other major podcast platforms. In the words of my man Byron, who paraphrased from Bomani Jones, give us five stars or you might be a hater. I want to thank you um, again, like just this 2021. It's a new year. Enjoy this year. I believe it's going to be a beautiful year. Uh, if you, if this is for somebody, if, you, if you're somebody out there you haven't talked to since last year, a couple of years, call and check on your friends, call and check on your family. Even if you guys haven't didn't haven't talked on good terms the last time you talked this it's time to reconcile this is a year for that i really believe that so i'm just grateful um that we can do this again uh this year so just praying for many more episodes many more seasons of us bringing you uh the news that we feel like is most important that, that you need for your life so we want to thank you guys for listening and we'll see you very soon on an episode of politically entertaining thank you for listening to politically entertaining Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.